If you would, open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I feel like this is a, a very good way to begin a Sovereign Grace Bible conference. The title I've given the message is Preaching Christ Crucified. Now we all know that there were a whole great big bunch of very serious errors going on at the church at Corinth. And now the Apostle Paul is going to write to correct those errors. And in order to correct these errors, the Apostle just does one thing. He preaches Christ to them. He deals with every one of the errors that they had going on in that church in light of Christ crucified. Paul tells them that when he was there with them, he was determined not to know. And that means not to see, not to inspect, not to turn his attention to anything other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said in every situation, the only thing he did was preach Christ crucified. He was determined he would never get off on a tangent. And I feel like that's pretty good instruction to all of us preachers in it. Just preach Christ crucified. Well, now let me ask you this question. What does it mean to preach Christ crucified? I know, I think, pretty much everybody here. So you've all heard this. We preach Christ crucified. But now what does that mean? Well, let me give you four things I see in our text about preaching Christ crucified. And the first thing is this. Preaching Christ crucified is not the testimony of men. It's the testimony of God. That's why it's to be believed. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, as your pastor just so well said, God sends men, fallen, sinful, weak men, to preach the gospel of God's grace. You hear, if you're going to hear the gospel, you're going to hear from a man, from another sinful man. But the gospel... These things that we preach, this is not man's testimony. It's not man's thoughts. It's not the, the ideas of men. It's not a, a doctrinal system that men have come up with. The gospel is the testimony of God himself. That's why it's to be believed. You can believe it because it's the testimony of God itself, himself. Now, it's a, it's a testimony. A witness gives testimony, doesn't he? Well, this is God's witness. This is God's testimony. And a witness is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the testimony of God. It's the truth. It's the truth of who God is. It's the truth of who man is. It's the truth of how sinners are saved. The testimony of God tells us the truth, who God is. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is the creator of heaven and earth. And God is the Savior of sinners. God is love. It's His character. He, God is love. God is merciful. But now don't forget this. At the same time that God is love, God is true. 
At the same time that God is merciful, God is just. He must be just in everything that he does. He will by no means clear the guilty. That's who God is. Well, the testimony of God tells the truth about us too. The testimony of God tells us how man became lost in Adam. God created Adam and put him in a perfect garden. Adam couldn't blame his faults on his surroundings, could he? It was a perfect garden. And Adam sinned against God. In open, willing rebellion against God, Adam sinned against God. And when Adam sinned, Adam died. Adam died spiritually. Now when Adam died, all of us died in him. He was our representative. We were doing what our representative did. When Adam sinned, we sinned too. Don't ever think, well, Adam sinned and God charged his sin to me, even though I wasn't there. And I, no, 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 no. When Adam sinned, we sinned in him. We were there. We did sin against God. That's how we became sinners. That's how we became dead. Now, since we're dead in sin, since the, our nature can only produce sin, there is no hope in man. There's no hope in anything we do. There's no hope in anything we say. There's no hope in anything we think. We're dead. We're dead in sin. That's us. Well, then the testimony of God tells us how God saves sinners. God the Father in love, love that you and I cannot understand, He loved sinners who sinned against Him, and He chose to save them. He chose them out of the lump of Adam's fallen race, and He chose to save them. And He gave those people to His Son to redeem God in his wisdom provided a salvation. He provided a salvation for those people that he chose to save. He sent his son to become a man. The son of God actually became a real man. Just as real of a man as you and I are. He came to earth and as a man, he obeyed the law perfectly. He couldn't do anything else but obey the law perfectly because he's God. He obeyed the law perfectly. The Lord Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He made his people righteous by obeying the law for them. It's not like Christ obeyed the law for his people and then God charged that righteousness to his people even though they're guilty. No, sir. All of God's elect obeyed the law in Christ our representative. We did what he did. God in his wisdom provided that, that salvation, a way to make his people righteous in justice. And then the father took the sin of his people and he made it belong to his son. And he poured out his wrath on that sin upon his son so that justice is satisfied. A sacrifice that pays for sin. That's how God saves sinners. Now that testimony is to be believed. And it's to be believed right now. Right now, right now where you sit without moving a muscle, without walking an aisle, without doing anything, right now where you sit, you believe God. This is the testimony of God. It's true. Now believe it. Believe it. Here's the second thing. The preaching of Christ crucified is to declare what Christ accomplished in his death 
Verse 2 says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now Paul tells us his only message, no matter where he's at, is Christ crucified. Now preaching Christ crucified, that's not just saying Christ died on the cross. Saying that Christ died on the cross, all that is is repeating an historical fact. It's what Jocelyn had to memorize in her history class she went to today. It's a historical fact. Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross about 2,000 years ago. That's not preaching Christ crucified. Preaching Christ crucified is declaring who died. And why did he die? And what did he accomplish when he died? Who died? Jesus of Nazareth. The God-man. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, he is God. He's God in human flesh. He is both the Son of God and the Son of Man. And since He's God, Jesus of Nazareth is the only perfect man ever lived. The only one. He obeyed God's law perfectly. And He didn't do it for Himself. He's already perfect. He's already righteous. The Lord Jesus Christ obeyed God's law as the representative of His people. They're not able to obey God's law, so he did it for them. He made them righteous, just like Adam made us sinners because we were in it. Do what he did. The Lord Jesus Christ made his people righteous because we were in him as our representative doing what he did. And since the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect, all of his people are perfect. He made them perfect. All right, now wait a minute. If Jesus of Nazareth is perfect, why did he die? Bob, the only reason for death is sin. If he's perfect, how could he die? He can't die if he has no sin, can he? Well, Christ died as the substitute of his people. The Father made him sin. This ought not have to be said, but I'm going to say it. I want you to listen to me. You remember this. Ain't nobody saying Christ is a sinner. Nobody's saying that. I like to read John Gill simply because I always assume Dr. Gill knows more than me. And this is what he said. He must have faced the same accusation that we face today, saying, oh, you're saying Christ was made a sinner. Brother Gill said this. The father made his son to be something worse than a sinner. He made him sin. He made him sin. He took the sin of his people and made his son guilty of it. And then in unmitigated wrath, the Holy Father slaughtered his son for that sin. He slaughtered him. And since he did that, you know what the Father can do now? Let his people go free in justice. He's not turning the other way and letting the guilty go free. <laughs> he lets his people go free in justice because their sin was paid for in the person of their substitute. Now that's why Christ died. What did Christ accomplish by his death? What did he accomplish? If we're going to preach Christ crucified, we've got to say, what did Christ accomplish in his death? Well, I'm going to give you a few things. But let me tell you, God wrote a whole book to tell us about it. This is what the Christ accomplished in his death. He satisfied the Father. 
He satisfied his father. The cross is an act of God. Now, I know it's the most unjust thing that's ever happened on this earth in the respect of what men did. What men did is the most, it's just the worst thing man's ever done on earth. But the cross is not an act of man. The cross is an act of God. The cross declares that God is sovereign. Look, look back at Acts chapter 4. Now, men did exactly what they wanted to do at the cross, didn't they? They did exactly what they wanted. Everything their wicked hearts could imagine to do, that's what they did. But when they did what they wanted to do, you know what they did? They didn't accomplish their will. They accomplished God's will. In Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Verse 26. For the kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. When men did every wicked thing that they could think of to do, they accomplished God's eternal purpose because God's sovereign. This is the way the father was going to save his people by the sacrifice of his son and they accomplished God's purpose. The eternal purpose of God was to give salvation to his people in justice. Not just mercy, but mercy and justice, mercy and truth. This is something the natural man cannot understand. Before God could do anything for the sinner, he had to do something for himself. He had to do something for himself. He had to satisfy his justice. He had to satisfy his holiness and his righteousness. The death of Christ satisfied God's demand. There must be death for sin. Well, Christ died for sin. God's justice is satisfied. And all that's left for God to do now is show mercy to his people. And Tommy does it in justice. This is the most, I love to say this. I love to think about this. The death of Christ made it right for the Father to show mercy to sinners. That's what Christ accomplished in his death. When Christ died, he accomplished the salvation of God's elect. God's elect. Look back with me at John chapter 17. The Lord Jesus Christ, contrary to the thoughts of men, did not die for all men. He did not die to make it possible for you to be saved if you might decide to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. No, sir. Christ died for God's elect and only God's elect. John 17, verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Christ died to accomplish the salvation of all those that the Father gave him in divine election. And just hours after the Savior makes this statement, he gave up the ghost and he died on a middle cross hanging between two thieves. And you know why he died? The debt was paid. The transaction was done. It is finished. He accomplished all of the salvation of all of God's elect. That salvation the Father purposed before the foundation of the world was accomplished in time. 
when our Savior gave up the ghost. Now that's preaching Christ crucified. And I told you earlier, God wrote a whole book to tell us what Christ accomplished when he was crucified. I'm going to give you a few of them. Number one, look at Romans chapter four. When Christ died, all of God's elect were justified. Romans 4, verse 25. Who was delivered for our offenses, the offenses, the sins of his people, and was raised again for our justification? Christ was made sin for his people. He took the sin of his people and he made it his and he died. He died under the, the wrath and justice and demands of his father. Now, how do I know that when Christ died, he put away the sin of his people? The father raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Christ is proof, proof positive. His death put away the sin of his people. If there any sin left on him, he never would have been raised from the dead. The father raised him from the dead because sin is gone. The death of Christ justified his people. You know what that means? It made them all without sin. Made them all without sin. If Christ died for you, you have no sin. Now that is such good news. Why would we ever preach anything else other than Christ crucified? By his death on the cross, he made his people without sin. Number two, when Christ died, he redeemed his people from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Being made a curse for us. Now my friend, if the curse of the law, it's eternal death. The curse of the law is standing guilty before Christ in the judgment and him telling us, depart from me, I never knew you. But if Christ died for you, you don't have to fear the judgment at all. At all. Because the curse of the law is gone. Christ took it away when he was crucified for his people. Now there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to dread. If you trust Christ, there's nothing to dread. Now I ask you again, why would we ever preach anything else? That's such good news. Why would we ever preach anything else? Number three. When Christ died, the sin of God's elect was forgiven. Colossians 1 verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. If Christ died for you, your sin's forgiven. God's not mad at you. Your sin is forgiven. And you know, what? This and this is what may, you know, if, uh, if I would do something offensive to you and if you know me long enough I, I probably will I probably will Jan and I are staying at six star accommodations this weekend I told Chris I said I'm afraid the handlers are going to find out what I'm really like and they ain't going to treat me this good no more you know if they know me long enough Jason you're just going to have to forgive me you're just going to have to forgive me and Jason he will he will he'll say Frank I forgive you don't worry about it it'll probably be in the back of his mind God doesn't forgive you like your sin is still in the back of his mind. You know why God forgives you? 
Now you get a hold of this. God Almighty forgives you of your sin because He slaughtered His Son for your sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus because you're forgiven. You're forgiven because Christ died the death that you deserve. Why would we preach anything else? Why would you ever want to hear anything else? Isn't that good news? All right, now fourthly, look at Matthew chapter 26. When Christ died, there was remission of sin for His people. Matthew chapter 26. This is when the Lord was instituting the Lord's table. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for the remission of sins. Now that word remission means freedom. If Christ was crucified for you, you have freedom from sin. Now, it's not in the sense that you're going to start sinning less than you ever did. Matter of fact, when God saved us, we think now, I, I think I'm sinning more than I ever did before. Now, it's not freedom from that you're going to quit sinning. But you're free from the damning power of sin. Yes, all we do is sin, but that sin can't damn you. Because Christ was condemned for you. You have freedom from that. You have freedom from the ruling power of sin. Now again, that doesn't mean that you're going to start sinning less. And you know, no, you're you're going to not want to sin. You're going, going to anyway. When Christ set His people free from the ruling power of sin, here's what that means: You who believe, you know this is true. There was a day you heard the gospel and you couldn't believe Christ. There was a day, try as you might, you couldn't make yourself believe Christ, could you? You could make maybe you wanted to. And you couldn't make yourself believe him, could you? Isn't it miserable? You know what that is? The ruling power of sin. You had a sin nature that ruled and would not allow you to believe Christ. But if Christ died for you, he set you free from that. And now you believe Christ. And you can't not believe him. You can't not. You probably try every day not to believe him. And he won't let you, will he? You're set free from that ruling power of sin. So you believe Christ and you keep believing Him. And one day, and we're going to be shocked how soon that day is, we're going to be free from the very presence of sin, even in our body. It's because Christ was crucified for us. There's a remission of sin. Fifth, look at Ephesians chapter 5. When Christ was crucified, He cleansed His people from all of their sin. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Now, sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin, it's a filth. It's a stain on our souls. And you can't get it out. 
I mean, I don't care how many aisles you walk. I don't care how many good works you try to do. I don't care what. We can't wash it out. Nothing can get that stain out except the blood of Christ. Christ was crucified to shed His blood to wash His people. To wash them white as snow. You know what it's like to go out work in the summertime and get all hot and sweaty and you, you get the job done. And boy, nothing feels as good as coming in and taking a shower does it, and getting clean. If Christ died for you, your soul is clean. Isn't that good news? Sixth, look with me, Hebrews chapter 10. When Christ died, His people were sanctified. Hebrews 10, verse 10. By the which will were sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now if Christ died for you, you're sanctified. You've been made holy. He's given you a holy nature. Adam gave you nature of sin. Christ has given his people a sanctified nature. A holy nature. Now scripture says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So Christ gave his people what his father demands. Holiness. So that you stand accepted with the father. And you know why? There's only one reason. It's Christ crucified. Seventh, when Christ died, he brought in everlasting righteousness. Daniel 9 verse 24 says that the Messiah will make reconciliation for iniquity and bring in everlasting righteousness. Everlasting righteousness. That means it's righteousness I can't mess up. Ephesians 5.21 says we're made, made the righteousness of God in Him. Now brother, if Christ died for you, you're righteous. It's not like you're righteous. It's not that you'll be righteous someday. You are righteous. You are righteous. You know why? That's what God made you. <laughs> he made you righteous. And it's because Christ was crucified for you to take your sin away and make you righteous. Think carefully, I'm going to say this. Righteousness is not something for us to banter about and argue about and getting great big fist fights on the internet about. Righteousness is what God made His people so that He can accept us. <laughs> I think that helps put things in perspective, don't you reckon? Eighth, when Christ died, you know what we saw? We saw God's love for sinners. 1 John 3, verse 16. Hereby perceive we. Here's how we perceive. Here's how we know the love of God. Because He laid down His life for us. Oh, I know nearly the whole world says God loves everyone. I, 
I understand they do. And they it's because they don't know no better. It's because they're blind. I wish I could tell those folks with, with the right attitude, if God loves everybody, that love really truly is meaningless. It's meaningless. If God loves folks, send his son to die for them, and God sends them to hell anyway, you know, I'm just not really interested in that kind of love. I, you know, I'm just not really interested. But to know that God loves sinners, and he loves them so much, that he sent his son to be crucified for them. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. Now that gives hope to a guy like me. If God loves you, I mean he showed it. He showed it. He showed it by taking your sin away from you and charging it to his son and then slaughtering his son so that you could live. What love? We'll never get to the bottom of it. We'll never fully understand it. What love? That God loves sinners so much, He died for them. I'll say it again. Why would you preach anything else? Why would you preach any other kind of love? Ninth, when Christ died, He made peace with God. He made peace with God through the blood of His cross. Now, peace must be made. Man has declared war on God. God didn't make the war. Man declared war on God. But man can't make peace with God. So you know God did? Now, God's the offended party here now. God's the one who made peace. He made peace for His rebellious people through the blood of His own Son. The blood of Christ. The blood He shed when He was crucified took away the sin that made God angry. God's at peace. No, no reason for him to be mad. The blood of Christ took, took the sin of his people away. And when that blood of Christ is applied to your heart in the new birth, you're going to quit being mad too. Like Brother Henry said so many times, stack your shotgun. Stack your arm. Lay down your shotgun. Surrender. Surrender. If God ever applies the blood of Christ to your heart, you will. You won't be mad no more. You'll surrender. If Christ died for you, I like to preach to folks right where they are. I'm talking to God's, God's people now. If Christ died for you, you have peace in the heart. You don't always have peace in the flesh, do you? But you do in the heart. It may not be well with my body. It may not be well with my mind. It may not be well with the circumstances around me. I wish they were a lot different. But it's well with my soul. It's well with my soul. You can't put a value on the peace that God puts in the hearts of his people. And we have that peace because Christ was crucified. Chris, I'm determined to preach that. Tenth, when Christ died, his people were reconciled. Reconciled back to God. 
We're cast away from God in Adam, thrust out of God's presence in Adam, but brought back to God, reconciled him, given fellowship with God because Christ was crucified. Eleventh, when Christ died, he purchased his delight. This thing not left up to chance, he purchased them. The Apostle Paul, he was giving his final instructions to those Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. He talked to them about the church of God. He said, now you take the oversight of them. You feed them. You take care of them. You shepherd them. It's the church with God purchased with his own blood. Now God purchased it. Now brother, Christ died for you. He owned you. He owns you. Lock, stock, and bro. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Well, let me ask you something. Do you reckon that the God of heaven and earth is going to allow any harm to come to your soul if he went to the extreme to slaughter his son in your place? Not a chance. He's going to take care of what's his. He's going to take care of what's his. Twelve, Christ died to draw his people to him. Our Lord told his disciples in John chapter 12, verse 32, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all unto me. Now that all is not all men. I know that's so because we preach Christ crucified and all men are not drawn to him. Well, who's the all? It's the all that the Father gave the Son to say. That's the all. And all, you don't have to worry about God's elect missing Christ and going to hell. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Just preach Christ crucified. You don't have to use psychological tricks and twist people's arms and, and do things to get them to make a, a, a profession. Just preach Christ crucified. Just lift him up. Here he is crucified. Here he is suffering for the sin of his people. Here he is satisfying his father's justice. Here he is suffering everything his people deserve. Just preach him. His people will come running. You who believe, let me ask you this now. What draws your heart to Christ more than hearing Christ crucified? Not one thing, does it? It's Christ crucified that draws his people to him. Number 13. Look at Romans chapter 14. Here's why Christ died. To be Lord of all. Many years ago, I had preached somewhere and a man was talking to Janet. He said, boy, he said, Frank preaches a strong God. I took that as a compliment. I think it was meant as a compliment. But here's why that's so. Christ died to be Lord of all. Romans 14, verse 9. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord, both of the dead and living. Christ died that he'd be Lord of all. That all flesh would be given into his hand so he could give eternal life to as many as it would please him to do. I want you to think about this. The one who died to save you if, you, if you believe Christ, the one who died to save you is Lord of all. He's sovereign ruler over Everything, everything. There's nothing that can happen in, in, this, in this creation that's against his will. Nothing. 
Well, then is there any way Almighty God is going to allow you to perish if Christ died for you? The king will never allow it. He will never allow it to happen. Now, that's such good news. I say it again. Why would we preach anything else? Why would we bother listening to anything else? There is full, free, complete salvation in Christ because Christ was crucified. Now, that's what it means to, for, to preach Christ crucified. Now, I'm going to give you two more things quickly. Look back in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There is a manner in which we are to preach Christ crucified. Paul says in verse 4, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. You know, the message of Christ crucified is so glorious. Man doesn't need to do anything to make it more appealing. Just preach Christ in His glory. Just preach Christ crucified. We don't need to use fancy words. The Apostle Paul could have. I mean, the education level he has so far above all of us, he could have used fancy words. He could have used, I mean, the, the things that he could have said, the words that he could have used, but he always used just simple, plain words, didn't he? You know where he learned that from? The Lord himself. When he preached, he used simple, easy to understand words, didn't he? Children understood him. You know, if we try to impress men with our vocabulary, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take the glory away from Christ crucified. This is one of the best pieces of advice I can give you about listening to preaching. If it's not simple to understand, I wouldn't listen to it for very long. I really wouldn't. Because the preaching of Christ crucified is done in simplicity. So nobody can mistake what we're saying. And the preaching, this is the way we're to preach Christ crucified. We're to do it dogmatically. Verse 2, Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If we're going to preach Christ crucified, we're going to have to be determined to do it. Determined. Because this is the only message that God uses to save sinners. The only message that God uses to feed His sheep is the message of Christ crucified. And if a man doesn't have steel in his spine to preach only Christ crucified, he's not God's servant. And he's not being hard and difficult to get along with if he won't tolerate anything but Christ crucified. And the preaching of Christ crucified is to be done in humility and reverence. Verse 3, Paul said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, from what we gather about the Apostle Paul physically, he was weak and he was frail, but that's not what he was talking about. Paul was talking about how all of God's preachers are weak, weak in the flesh. Our flesh is weak, so we have to have the power of the Spirit. God's preachers preach in fear and trembling because we're handling the Word of God. I mean... Who's sufficient for that? We're daring to bring the testimony of God to men and women, to folks we love, 
were daring to deal with your eternal soul. We're not playing games here now. I'm so happy to see all of y'all. I really, I love you. I want the best for you. Oh, how I want the best for you. And here's why I preach in fear and trembling. How easily I could do or say something to lead you wrong. Because that's my flesh. <laughs> Brother Bob Coffey said one time, here's why men are afraid to preach. Where the new man's afraid of what the old man's going to do. <laughs> but I want a man, don't you? I want a man to preach to me in fear, in trembling. I want to be serious about this. I want to know he cares for my soul. Don't you want to know that? That's who I want to listen to. That's who I want to have preach to me. I want him determined that he's only going to preach Christ crucified to me. That's what I want. And here's why. Here's the fourth thing. It's the goal of preaching Christ crucified. It's so, it's so that you believe Christ. That your faith and hope be in Christ. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, if I tried to impress you with what a great preacher I am, number one, I'd fail. And number two, you'd get sidetracked. I'd, I'd get you sidetracked looking at me instead of looking at Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd like for you to like me. It's a whole lot nicer being liked than being disliked, being hated. But my goal, honestly and truly, honestly now, my goal is not to get you to like me. I want more than anything for you to know Christ. I'll tell you, by God's grace, I'll tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings, if it hurts the feelings of your flesh. And I'll do it praying it'll cause you to look to Christ. I want to preach Christ crucified to you so that you believe Christ. Not so I talked to you into doing something now, but so that you believe Christ. Years from now, I don't want you wondering do I believe that because Frank talked me into it? Do I believe that because Chris taught me? I, I like Chris. I respect him. I, you know, I, do, I, do I believe that because Chris told me that? Or do I believe Christ? I want you to believe Christ. I'll tell you a story in closing. And this, is, this, is, this is how I feel. Some years ago, at Hurricane Road, I was introducing Brother Don Fortner. He had come to preach for us in a midweek service. And uh, everybody knows Don. There's no, there no need to introduce Don, but I kind of like doing it. And, and I told the folks, I said, I love to hear Don Fortner preach. And here's why. Because as he's preaching, this is what I know. I know he cares whether or not I believe the Savior he's preaching. I know that. I know that. And I like that. 
Don't you want to listen to somebody that cares whether I'm, I don't want to just give this like a lecture and like, you know, as a college professor and, you know, you can believe it if you want and get an A or you can not believe you want to get an F. I, no skin off my nose. I want you to. Don't you want to hear somebody preach that wants you to believe Christ? As I was saying that, this big voice come from behind me. Don said, and I want, and oh, he, I said, I, I know he cares that I come to Christ. And this big booming voice, Don says, and I want you to come right now. <laughs> That's what I want. Oh, that God be pleased. That God be pleased to make us come to Christ right now. If there's somebody here, I don't know. I've prayed that it be so, but I don't know. Somebody here doesn't know Christ. My friend, come to him. Come to him. And if you've known him a long time, you've believed him a long time, come to him again. Peter said, to whom coming? Come, come for rest for your soul. Come to him. All right. Lord bless you.